How is everybody this morning? Good. It, it's rainy and gloomy outside, but it gave such an intimate feeling during that song with the lights like a little more dim and stuff. I don't know if you guys felt it. I felt it. Um, this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 8. So if you guys want to take a minute and grab a Bible, there should be someone somewhere around you. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Um, what I want to encourage us a little bit with this morning when we start off is a, a, a thought kept coming to my mind as I was praying during that last song. Some of our greatest accomplishments and growth like sit right on the other side of, of fear. What I mean by that is like there's so much growth and so much greatness for us to experience in the world, but sometimes we never get to that feeling or get to that place because something scares us. There's something scary about that. Um, Jess mentioned the pole on the back of the bulletin, and what we wanted to do with that is try and get people involved and engaged in a community group, and sometimes that can sound intimidating. Like, I'm a pretty outspoken, outgoing person. I'll strike up a conversation with anybody, but I will tell you the very first time that I attended um, Jen and Tony's community group at the, at the Prettyman's house, it was intimidating for me. It was a little scary to go up to this house, knock on the door, and go in. But the growth from that was awesome. And it was the same thing with uh, this sermon that I'm going to be preaching today. When I got the outline and uh, we decided what we were going to be going over and what we were going to be preaching on, like, this is an area that I didn't feel I knew a whole lot about. And I was scared. I was intimidated. But being, over, being able to go through God's Word and study the Bible and dig deeper into my um, study Bible and different commentaries and stuff, like, I'll tell you guys, like, the growth that I felt in preparing for this, the, um, the just sense of, neg neg <laughs> of reversing the fear that I had based on having God's word in front of me, like, kind of gave me a confidence where I'm like, you know what, as scary as this was, as much as I wanted to maybe back off and say, oh, I don't know, I'll... Uh, I'll pick the, the birth of Jesus, like, <laughs> go back to some content I know or something. Like, I'm happy that I went through with it. So Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. We're going to start out by reading the whole thing, and then we'll jump around and we'll break it up and we'll, we'll go through it. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, and as for the murderers, sexually immoral, 
sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which will be the second death. That is God's word. Um, so good morning. Uh, looking out, uh, I know most of you guys. My name is Chris. I get the pleasure of serving alongside Nick and Tony here at Gospel Community Church. And um, we welcome you at Gospel Community Church. Our vision is to live authentic lives proclaiming the good news of Jesus while inviting Castle Country into and belong to the way. And we do that through No Grow Go, knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and going and sharing Christ. And so um, there's my introduction, but some of you know me, and some of you may know parts of my story, and some of you may not. Um, so part of my story is I, I battled with addiction for 15 years of my life. 15 years of my life, I was stuck in this debilitating, horrible place in my life, all at the hands of addiction. Um, I suffered nearly seven fatal overdoses on opiates where I should have died, but God had another plan for my life. And then about four years ago, four years ago, I had heard so much that, Chris, just put your faith in God. Put your trust in Jesus. He can bring you through all of that. And at first, it sounded real nice, but me and my crazy lifestyle that I lived was way over here, and this talk about Christ being able to bring me out of it, it was way over here. There were two worlds apart. And though I wanted this world to intersect with this world and become one, I didn't know how to make that happen. And so I actually had the pleasure of walking through men and women that were trying to climb out of those same very trenches as I was at the Monday night recovery meeting that used to be go, go on here that was taught by Davey. And now um, I know a lot of you guys don't really have an idea of what a setting like that looks like, but it was basically being able to gather around some brothers and sisters and find out what it feels like to experience freedom from our addiction by putting our faith in Christ. And so um, that's where uh, my life kind of started to get some um, direction and, and some discipleship and shown how to bring those two worlds together. And it is one of the reasons that I'm able to stand here with you guys today. But before we go like any further, and even though some of you guys might not have an idea what that setting looks like or what that lifestyle that I experienced looks like, I want to I assure us in one thing. Like, all of us have real problems. All of us. All of us experience real brokenness, every single one of us. And so, um, that being said, we're going to jump into um, our second week of Advent, and we're going to be moving forward today. And today in particular, we're going to look towards the day when Christ returns, uh, the day toward the day when we're raised with him and the day that all that's wrong in the world will be made right. And we're going to do it for a number of reasons. For one... Scripture speaks of this day all throughout its pages. We see prophecies speak to this um, coming from the incarnation of Christ into the world and for our salvation. And we also see the promise that he will bring about a renewal and a restoration of all things. Um, there's a present promise and there's a future promise. Whether we see it in Ezekiel 43, which mentions what it looks like for God to dwell in his temple with his people forever. Or Isaiah 65, which almost speaks verbatim to what we read today, that says, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth, all the way up to the New Testament with Colossians 1 and 19 and 20 that says, For in him 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. But for us right now, we stand, uh, we stand in a place that is uh, between the glory and wonder of the incarnation and resurrection of Christ and his return. And um, it's something that I read, and as I was studying, I found it called uh, the already but not yet of the kingdom. It simply means Jesus has come, and with his resurrection, he was inaugurated to God's kingdom, but the full consummation of that kingdom awaits the day when he returns. Let me get a drink again. And so one of the things that became evident of this is merely looking at my life. Just merely looking at my life. And, one of you, and you guys could probably come to the same conclusion by looking at your life. Sometimes it's painfully evident we live in a world where not everything has been made right at this point. We see real suffering, we see real brokenness, and we see real pain. All of us see the proof of us all around us. Let's take the holidays, this time of year. If you take the holidays, for example, like I mentioned last week in my prayer time, for some of, the, some of us, like, this is a great time of year. For some of us, we gather around with family and friends, we share gifts, we gather for meals, it's, whether it's New Year's, whether, excuse me, it's an extended time off of work. All, some of us, we, we, we love this time of year. It just, it, it brings a feeling of celebrating the birth of our Savior that just brings a gladness to our hearts. But there's a flip side to that. For some of us, this same time of year, the same holidays, the same thought of family is a nightmare. For some of us, it's because family itself is a source of that brokenness. Families are torn apart. For some people, it's because um, a battle with depression or addiction or anxiety or it could be your first holiday spending it after um, going through the struggles of a divorce. It could be the first holiday spending it since a loved one, a parent, a son, a friend has passed away. And it's that first reminder that they're not here with us. Um, I'd be willing to bet that none of us need anyone to tell us that this season can be very hard as it can be great. It can be hard for those struggling and suffering. Um, while we stir our hearts for often like a, a deep longing for relief and restoration from these things, too often these desires for relief from these horrible times can lead us to run to something that we think is going to help make us feel better from this time. There are things that we can run to that in and of themselves, like, they're not bad things. But when they're placed on a pedestal as something that can give us um, comfort and relief and identity and, and heal us from the things we're going to, they're always going to disappoint us. They could be things like food or sex or things that we look at and we might say, all right, this in itself is not that great, but we end up running to it anyway with anger or um, drugs or alcohol, things that we're running to that are temporal and of this world, and we're trying to deal with the brokenness that we have up in, deep inside of us. And it could be, some people, it could be material stuff. Um, you could be excited about getting that new phone or uh, added some new clothes to your wardrobe or... Some of you guys might have just got a new car, 
and there's a kid outside in the parking lot that swung his door open, and you got a chip and a ding in there, and like, dude, it's over. You're like, oh, that brought me great joy. That temporary thing just brought you great pain in an insurance claim. <laughs> but, like I said, when we run to those things, they're leaving us a false promise. They're leaving us a false hope. We have one real hope. We have a fixed reality in that hope. But these things that we end up running to in this time of year when we're struggling and dealing with rough things, they end up disappointing us, letting us down. Um, John, the author, author of Revelation, also wrote the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's speaking to an audience at this time that are experiencing this pain and suffering firsthand. In fact, they're, they're facing persecution in this time. And he's writing to them to, to give them a glimpse of the hope that they have and a glimpse of the hope that is to come. And this is kind of where our text here meets us. John is saying that there's a hope for us. There's a hope that we desperately need, and there's a hope that we desperately long for. There's a glorious future reality out there waiting for us that we long for, that, it, that, that glorious um, representation that we're waiting for, it represents the fullness of what God has promised to us. And it's that, it's that promise that where brokenness and pain and suffering are, restoration is there in the completion of what Christmas has started for us. And then we're going to move from there, and we're going to go to seeing our desires and our longings that we experience today, and we're going to see them as something very important about what it means to become partakers of this hope. We're going to see that there's a future hope and there's a present hope, and we can see that, that we become takers of the, we can become partakers of this hope. So we're going to start off, and we're going to look um, at verse 1. And then we're going to break it down a little bit. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing a promise. We're seeing a promise of a new creation. We're seeing a promise of a new heaven and a new earth. And it's telling us that this promise is going to be the kingdom of God in its fullness. It's not going to be the heaven and earth that we know and understand today. It's telling us that it's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a future hope for God's people in the resurrection from the dead and eternity in life with him. What I want to do as we go through this, as we go back through our verses, is I want to point out like four things that we can kind of gather and understand from what this text is showing us. The first, Victoria, if you'll pull up the first slide, the first thing we can see about this is the new creation is physical. Just as in our bodies are physical and we're raised physical, the new creation in itself is going to be physical. And what that means is like we're not going to be a spiritual apparition with wings floating around playing the harp on our little harp playing cloud with a little music stand of a cloud in front of us. It's going to be a physical thing. There might be harp playing there. I don't know. That's okay. But what I'm saying is it's going to be physical. We're going to be there in our physical bodies. There's going to be a physical heaven and earth, a new creation. The next thing we could see, if you pull up the second one, please, is the new creation is new. And you guys are out there like, all right, Chris, thanks for that, Captain Obvious. <laughs> the new creation is new. Way to go, bud. I see you put a lot of work into this. 
But what I mean by this is the new creation is new is one of the examples I can give of, of this type of newness that I think he's talking about here is the very first time that the doctor came over and handed us our newborn son. And I looked into his face. My body was flooded with a type of love that was completely new, but it felt like I had never known anything else. It felt like in that very instant, in that very moment, all life without him had become a blur. And there was this newness about him, but there was this love that had lasted forever. And it's kind of the same thing. When we think about that, you know, we see that newborn child for the first time. There's a newness to that. But is it really new? Creation from the very beginning has been experiencing this glorious wonder of childbirth happening. But for us, we experience, and it's new, but it's familiar. Another way that we can look at this and kind of um, see what I'm talking about of the newness of the new creation is think about when you're reading Scripture. If you have a certain um, book of the Bible that you like to read the most or there's a certain chapter that you really run to in tough and struggling times and you have read that Scripture and you've read that Scripture 99 times and you've become familiar with that Scripture and you gain that understanding with it every time but then you read it that hundredth time. You read it that hundredth time and it, it, it expresses something new. It expresses a new understanding of what God's trying to tell you at that time. It's a newness that we've known, but it's a newness that we haven't known. Um, and so one of the things you're talking about here is, um, oh wait, I think I turned the page too soon. Yeah. So what he's describing is he's saying that the new creation is going to be new. and we see, So we see the physicality of it. We see the newness of it. We also see even more than this about what John is telling us what the new creation is going to look like. Can you pull up verse 2? Let's continue reading in verse 2. It says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as his bride, adorned for her husband. One of the things that we see in this scripture is the new creation. Can you pull up the third slide, Victoria? The new creation is a place where God will dwell with his people. John is showing us that our God is going to demonstrate with all the glory and power, all of the scriptures he's spoken, spoken about, about, I will be a husband to my people and they will be my bride. This is going to be fulfilled. Even more, his bride, the church, us, the church will be presented in splendor, coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband, having been washed by the blood of Jesus. Think about that, you guys. Think about how beautiful that is going to be. When I was studying this and I was thinking about uh, the church coming down adorned as a bride for her husband, I kept coming to the thought of me standing right here in this area and watching Maria walk down that aisle. Like, there was a beauty of this girl that I was going to share life with that I had never seen. There was a radiant glow about her as she walked down to be my bride that just had me, it has me now, I'm all full of goosebumps. If I had a short sleeve shirt on, you guys would be going, look at his arm. But it, there was just... There was this beauty there that took my breath away. In other words, he's telling us that 
all of the brokenness of this age is going to give way to the glory of God. It's the climax of what we see in redemptive history. That God with his glory, splendor, and majesty is weaving together history so that in the new creation, we're going to be with him. This means you. This means me. This means the body of Christ will be with him. We kind of imagine what John's original audience is um, seeing and understanding at this time. They, uh, there are people who are experiencing this struggle. They're experiencing this persecution firsthand right there. And John's telling them in this, he's telling them, like, be steadfast in this. Be steadfast. Be faithful. God will do what he has promised. There will be a day when you will be with him. And then he goes on. This is how we fully understand it. We see in verses 3 and 4. He said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So we've seen physicality. We've seen the creation is new. We've seen creation as a place where God will dwell with his people. And now the fourth thing that we'll see, if Victoria will pull that slide for us ever so graciously, is the new creation is where all the effects of the fall are reversed. All the effects of the fall are reversed. All of us bear the effects of our sin. All of us. All of us bear the wounds or the scars of the things that other people have done to us. All of us. And all of us, just turn on the news if you think I'm wrong, know what it looks like to live in a broken world. All of us. But there's a day coming when all of the pain that we carry, all of the wounds that we've suffered, all of the experiences are going to be done away with. When the losses we've known, they're not going to have the same sting we they once did. When the abuse of the scars, the scars from abuse we've suffered, they're not going to bear the same sadness and weight. They're going to be washed away. What this means for us, that this is a, a joy, joyful and glorious time, the holidays is this time of year when we're celebrating and we're enjoying this, this great love and this great happiness with our family and we're experiencing these great times of getting together with the people we love. What this should show us is this greatness and this love and this awesome feeling that we're experiencing of gathering together with, with the people we love, that's just a glimpse of what is to come. That's just a glimpse of what it's going to look like on the day when all the effects of the fall are reversed. And for the people on the back side of that coin, for the people that this time of year is a nightmare, when you don't want to be around anybody, when you just want to lock yourself away, well, we need to know that there's a day coming that's all wrong will be made right. It's going to be made right. There's a day when death is no more. In fact, there's going to be a day that, as we mentioned in Isaiah 65, it says, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth. He also said, the former things shall not be remembered or be no more. There's going to be a day where the overwhelming 
glory of creation is going to surpass anything that we've ever experienced in our lives right now. And what's beautiful and astounding about this for us is though we're awaiting this day of what this is going to be like, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we're actually kind of experiencing that today. So we're, we're, we're longing for this day and we're looking for this glorious day, but through the resurrection of Christ, we're actually living in a version of that today. We're experiencing that now. We jump into verse 5 and we'll kind of take a look at what this present hope that we're experiencing now looks like. And it says, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There's a couple things I want for us to really stand out when we look at this. There's a couple things that should really grab us and kind of knock us off our seat. And um, the first is the coming of this new creation. It, it is a future hope, but it's also a fixed and certain reality. It's not some hope that we don't know if it's going to happen or not. It's a fixed and certain reality. And the very words of God tells John, like, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He says, it's true. It's done. It's going to happen. Can you go to the next verse, too? I think I was supposed to do, wait, let me see. No, you're good. Right there. Is there another part of verse 5? No? He says, it is, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. That's part of 6. Okay, I broke it up wrong. My bad. Um, so we'll jump into that part of 6 where he says, you know, um, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. We're going to stop right there because we'll go into our next part yet. But, like, think about that part. He is saying, like, it is done. It is finished. And he's telling them, like, even more in some very real ways, like, this reality, it's already begun. It's already began to break into our present life and our present reality. Like, see how the sentence starts. He doesn't say, like, I'm going to do this. He says, it is done. One of the other things that we see in that is, like, he's saying, the way the sentence starts, he doesn't say, like, I will make all things new. I will make all things new. He says, I am making all things new. He's saying, it's already begun to happen. The hope that we have, the hope that we long for, it's already began to happen because of the death and resurrection of Christ. It's a hope that we're experiencing now in our lives. It's something that we can actually know today, but I would, and, like, How? How would, we, how would we know that today? And I would say it's through the resurrection power, of, or the death and resurrection of Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's how it is. Look, we look for rescue and restoration. That's the things that we seek out in our lives. Rescue and restoration. And what I mean is, when Jesus came to us, he had one purpose. Colossians 1 says, to reconcile all things to himself, things in heaven and things on earth. This means he came for us, 
He came to rescue us from sin and death, but he also came for the renewal and restoration of all things. And this all things isn't all things like all people. It's all things. It's the created reality. It's the cosmos. It's the worlds we live in. It's all things. He came to redeem and restore. An author that I I read something by as I was studying for this and a number of others, N.T. Wright, he put it this way. His resurrection means eternity with all the splendor and glory of the new creation has broken into the present, which means when we look at him, we look at the risen Christ, we're seeing a glimpse of what that day will look like. It also means because the Holy uh, Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of us, we start to see a renewal and a restoration in our lives. And what I mean is, is if you're at that point where you've called, upon the Christ, you've called upon Christ into your heart and into your life, and you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you, you start to experience a changing from the inside out. You, you start to experience a renewal of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And, and what I mean by that is, think about it. I want you guys to think about this for a second. What was it like when you first began to understand some of the freedom that is found in Christ. What was it like for you when you first began to understand some of the freedom that was found in Christ? It was cleansing. Strength. These are things that people that have accepted Christ Notice with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you guys might not have experienced that yet. For me, what I can say what it looked like is there was a time in my life when someone could have said, hey, who's that Chris Polito? What's he like? And the answer that would have probably came up would have been, he's a liar. He's a thief. He's a drug-addicted menace to society. Don't trust him. But like I mentioned, four years ago, I cried out to Christ to come into my life, and at that moment, a change started to happen. To say that everything was made fine and dandy and everything became perfect, I would be lying to you guys. But something about me, the makeup of who I was, became different. Normally, when I would react with anger or rage or frustration, all of a sudden, there was a little bit of patience and understanding there. Before, when I was just like a cold person who had no emotion, no touch with my emotions, nothing could really uh, bring me to any type of um, tears or anything like that. I I was cold and so far away from that. Now, things pull some tears from my eyes pretty easily. I was telling Nick one night, it could be that commercial for the ASPCA with the skinny dogs in a cage and Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. And Maria's like looking at me, are you crying right now? I'm like, shut up. Give me a minute. But that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit began to transform that heart that I had that was cold and brutal and and didn't show no emotion. It began to change me. But what you'll see and what many of you can understand is when someone puts their trust in Christ, that renewal starts to happen. You see a change. You see a little something different about the way, we, way they were. And you see it not just in um, kind of who they are, but sometimes you see it in people's actions too. 
when that indwelling power of the Holy Spirit happened, before, when a person would face a certain situation and they would run to the bottle or they would run to a drug or they would run to uh, driving fast in their car, they ran to these certain things that they thought would fulfill them and fill that void, they don't run to those anymore. Now they kind of run to a friend. Hey, I'm struggling. I need some help. They run to the cross. There's a change that happens. And so, like, one of the things I want to point out to us is, is some good news is, like, that hope, that hope of having that change, that hope of what we're experiencing now and that hope of what to come, it doesn't rely on us. It doesn't rely on us one bit. We have an objective hope that relies on Christ. It relies on Him to help us get through these things and do these things and change. When we look at Jesus raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, the one that proclaims He will come again, what we're seeing is the fixed reality that if Jesus was in fact raised from the dead, everything else that God has promised us will in fact come too. It's based on the objective reality that we have an objective hope and His name is Jesus. I will go a little bit deeper into a part of my life that um, some of you guys probably don't know about. And it's a little hard, and it chokes me up. And um, before I go into that, I shared a quote on my Facebook page yesterday, and it's, I love the way that Paul Tripp words it. He says, hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that little statement to really understand and really experience. Ma'am, could you keep that child quiet, please? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm comfortable in the chaos. It actually helps me out a little bit. But so anyway, um, back in 2001, I was 21 years old and I was dating this girl. And the relationship was on the rocks. The relationship was on the way out the door. And before it had fully ended, we found out that she was pregnant. And that didn't change the fact of where the relationship was. We ended up splitting up anyway and breaking up. And about halfway through the pregnancy, um, I had found, we found, or halfway through the pregnancy, I got a phone call from her. She, gave me, she called me and told me that um, she had had a miscarriage. And the, the weight of that and... and um, what it was going through, like, it, it kind of jarred me. It kind of knocked me off my path a little bit. You know, there was this emotional roller coaster, and I'm sure um, any of you women that have experienced it can um, know what I'm talking about times 10. I was on the sideline. I was at a distance. So I'm moving on with my life, and I'm trying to move forward. And April 15, 2001, at about 7.30 in the morning, I get a phone call. In 2001, April 15th was Easter morning, and I get a phone call from a number that I haven't talked to anyone in that family for months, and I get a phone call, and it's from my ex's sister, and her sister said, Chris, you need to get down to the hospital right away. She has just had a little baby girl. She told me she'd had a miscarriage because she was scared to tell her family that she was pregnant. She was, I don't know the reasons, but... She hid it the entire time. No one in her family knew. No one knew at all. So all of a sudden, I'm back on this crazy upswing of this roller coaster ride. And I go down to the hospital, and there's this beautiful little baby girl. And um, because of the unhealthy place that we were at in our lives, 
um, the baby was born with some traces of opiates in her system. And at that moment, DCFS came in, became involved. And um, due to the fact that where our lives were, due to the fact that, like, um, of a bunch of other factors, my ex's parents took legal custody of the little girl. And, and, and sorry, I don't make it to... I have no intention of making it sound desensitized by saying little girl. I'm just trying to respect their privacy and leave names out of the story, okay? So I don't want to come across as cold because I'm shattered on the inside right now. So I'm trying to hold it all together. But um, so things started off all right. Things started off pretty good. Um, they were allowing me to come up and visit my daughter. They were... Uh, my ex, she had went off to residential treatment after uh, the hospital stay to get treatment for her, her addiction. And so for the first, like, six months of her life, I was going up there each and every day, and I was visiting her. Um, to, to even be able to have that happen, I had to pass drug tests for them. And I'll tell you to, like, do this. My grandmother, her house in East Carbon has its own door into the basement, and that's where my bedroom was. And I told my grandma, I was like, I need a week of detoxing from opiates. I said, I'm going to go in down into my room. Do not take a padlock off that door for the life of you. She locked me in down there. I stayed down there sick. She would bring me food and water. But I stayed down there just to get past that because um, the, heart was welling, but, uh, the heart was willing, but the flesh was weak, so to speak. And I know where I would have ended up. So I got through that, and things started feeling better, and I started feeling better, and I started visiting my daughter. And um, one of the last family meetings that they had at uh, my ex's rehab facility, they told her that what I'd done wasn't going to sustain any type of long-term recovery. And if I didn't get into a residential treatment, I wasn't going to stay clean. So one day I go up there, and I go to visit my daughter, and... When they answered the door, it was different. I could tell right then it was different. She had returned from rehab. They had this new clinical information that I wasn't going to stay clean if I didn't go to rehab. And they're like, Chris, it's not a good idea for you to see her anymore until you can get into some treatment. I should have got into some treatment. I did what we were talking about here. I ran to these temporary things that I thought were going to satisfy me and thought I were going to help me deal with this pain. And... Now, she's 18 years old. I have no relationship with her. When I walk into a store and she's working in there, I feel like this is, there's this understanding of she knows who I am. I absolutely know who she is. I've, um, from the sidelines, from a distance, attended softball games and volleyball games and basketball games to watch her play and stuff, but there's no relationship there. And there's often times when Maria and I are uh, over at the house and we have our two kids in the room with us where we begin talking and we're like, what would it be like to have all three of them in the same room? What would she think of her little brother that just arrived? Or what would it be like? I know what that longing feels like. I know what that desire feels like. When we say hope is a person and his name is Jesus in our house, we understand that and we know that and we run to that. That's just one of the ways that I can show that the effects of my sin, the effects of the choices that I made, still bear weight in my life today. Let's look at verse 6. We'll continue reading right there. I'm sorry, I'm going way long, you guys. It says, 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be God. I will be his God, and he will be my son. We understand what it looks like to drink from the water of life without payment. When we look at Jesus and we look at him as our hope, we understand what that's like. That's where it is. That's what it looks like. Sometimes we tend to run to these things that we think are going to quench our thirst, and they leave us more thirsty and only leave us stranded in the desert. These things, these sinful things that we run to to to, um, quench our thirst and we think are going to make us feel better, it's crazy because even in their sinfulness, they expose a need for what we really need, and it is Christ. Here's what I want to leave us with today. Some of you, some of you have tasted this hope. You've never known peace. I'm sorry. Some of you have never tasted this hope. Some of you have never known the peace after the storm. You've only known the storm. You've never drank from the waters of life in Christ's name. But what he's telling us in this verse, what he's telling us is, I will satisfy you. I will renew you. I will quench your thirst. I will renew you today and in the day that it's to come. I will give you a new hope that's going to lead to newness and understanding and joy. And for those of us who are believers, and maybe you're struggling and you're wondering um, amidst all the darkness that you've walked through in this struggle, like, is there still hope for you? He's telling you that you can trust him. All of the doubts will give way to the reality of what he has already done for you. And what you're seeing in your life today. And you can run to him. You can run to him in these doubts and these struggles of, of your faith and uh, of this fear and your storm. And they will all lead to good things. All good things. The same promise that brought us from life to death is the same promise that will su- sustain us today and in the day to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That in a world filled of uncertainty and pain and anguish, that we don't have to wonder where a source of restoration, where a source of peace is going to come from. Your son, the person of Jesus Christ, stepped down from his throne, took on a brutal death, and was resurrected from the dead. And in that, we gained hope presently as we await the promise of the future. As you mold us and shape us in our lives. As we sometimes don't think we look like what we ought to look like, or we don't feel the way we ought to feel, let us remember whose hands we are in. Let us remember who is forming our lives. Father, help us in our times of doubt so we believe we're unbelievers help us in that continue to guide us and grow us and draw us into your ever loving arms in your beautiful name we pray Amen